Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Mike Force Podcast. It is, of course, your host, Mike G. Hope you guys are doing well this week. I have uh, the new Philcraft shirt on. This is our fall line. It's already out right now, but this is like UV protected. If you're seeing me now, you see it because it's on the YouTube. If you're listening to this, I encourage you to go to YouTube to the Mike Force Podcast and subscribe, hit the notification tabs, and leave your comments and your feedback. I want to say I appreciate all the listeners who tune into the podcast because without you, uh, I wouldn't be able to do what I do for a living, which is talk about preparedness, talk about mindset and all the cool things that we do at Philcraft, but also living my best life by educating you. That's what I love. That's my passion. Um, I want to get into the meat and potatoes of the podcast with a warrior's mindset and give you some insight in some things that I've utilized along the way in building resilience mentally and how you could do the same. But first, I want to get to the news and some of the highlights of things that are going on with Philcraft, with my life. Just had an awesome podcast with Evan Hafer and Andy Stumpf, a good friend of mine. Andy was in town for some consulting that we were doing. And we decided at that table with our good friend Brandy that we are going to start a graphic novel called Historical Chronicles. And it's going to chronicle all of the stories and these hidden treasures that are our stories and our friends' stories through special operations and their experiences in a graphic novel narrative and presentation. One, I think that's really cool because we could tell these short form stories in amazing ways, but give you an illustrated uh, version of this that is more digestible. It's collectible, but more digestible for younger people. You know, I always want to bridge the gap in communicating to a younger audience because I want to motivate people to fight for their country, to believe in the values that I grew up believing and still believe that make this country great. And I, I read John Plaster's Mac V. Sog and Secret Commandos and One Shot, One Kill and all these great books. I'm looking at my library right now. All these great books that I grew up with that motivated me to serve. Now, a lot of you guys and gals listen to my podcast because of that experience, but I want to try to reach a new audience. So me and Andy had this idea with Brandy, who's got an illustrator, to go actually go to Comic-Con and to do this type of thing because there's a whole bunch of these stories that will benefit people in their life. Just reading about, for example, the dog that saved my life, Vinny. Um, I tell that story not because I was the cool guy, because I most certainly wasn't. I was surrounded by cool guys. But that dog, Vinny, saved my life. And without that dog and the special operators who manage those dogs and the units they belong to, I wouldn't be alive. I literally think I would have been shot and or both blown up as uh, Vinny put himself in harm's way to save my life. So I'm sitting here being able to communicate to you because of a dog. Uh, also, I talked to Andy about it, like the Jessica Lynch raid. Andy was on the Jessica Lynch raid talking about when he got shot in combat. All of those things we're going to present to you really soon, and I'm pumped about it because it's, it's a little side project, a little side hustle, but we're taking proceeds of profits depending on who's telling the story, whether it's John Stryker Meyer and uh, Mac V. Sog, or it's uh, Kyle Lamb in Black Hawk Down. We're going to let the person telling the story take a proceeds of the profit forever, the life of that book or that graphic novel, and benefit their charity of choice. A lot of mine will go to Warrior's Heart Foundation, ran by my good friend Tom Spooner, because I believe in their mission. And um, we certainly need the help mental health-wise, which is a big part of this podcast today. Also on that podcast, we, uh, I got to 
uh, drive in Evan Hafer's Bronco, which is a custom-built Bronco that he's given away for Black Rifle Coffee subscribers. Now, that giveaway doesn't happen until next year. I'm both a subscriber to his special line of coffee, which I forget the acronym. There's an acronym there, as well as the basic subscription because I go through coffee like I go through ammo. I mean, it's part, it's part of my life and part of my routine. And uh, here's my coffee mug for today. It says, we don't make mistakes. We have happy accidents, which is pretty cool. You know, I, I love Bob Ross and a uh, big fan of him. But yeah, got that going. Um, also, uh, if you didn't hear it, Tim Kennedy, uh, his new book is out, as well as my good buddy, uh, Jack Carr. I'm reading both of their books. And if you want to support guys who are doing amazing things, do that. If you haven't heard it, Tim Kennedy's book, um, I read an excerpt on one of my podcasts because I'm a part of that book and his experiences in life when we attended sniper school together, which I think is cool. I, I was at the gym this morning and saw Tim on Fox News. And uh, it's always cool to see these guys doing amazing things. Lastly, I did, well, not lastly, because I got two more things. Uh, I did see Rob O'Neill on Sean Ryan's podcast. And he was catching some stuff because of comments he made about the Second Amendment. And I, I, it bums me out to see friends like Tim, friends like Evan, friends like Rob to get attacked by these people who think because these guys have opinions, I don't even know what they are. Um, it doesn't matter to me. It's irrelevant to me. I don't disassociate myself based on their opinions, especially in short form. Like they said something in short form for a minute that was said and stated and now you made a conclusive decision to hate them, to attack them, to always berate them. That's unacceptable in my world. If you do that on my page, I'll delete and block you because I don't have time for it. But also, I think it's unacceptable as a society. We already live in toxic times. We live in times that media is generating via the algorithm the behavior that's going to turn each other on each other. I hate to hear that. I hate to see that. Rob O'Neill served honorably through a long and amazing career in the Naval Special Warfare career field. He was a DEVGRU operator who shot Osama bin Laden, the most wanted terrorist in the world, in the face three times. Uh, if you haven't listened to that podcast, if you haven't watched that podcast, make sure you do that on YouTube, on The Sean Ryan Show. I mean, all these guys, GBRS, uh, Rob, they're all my friends. I don't base my friendship with them in opinions. I base it on their ethic, on the morality, on their character. And their characters, it's like when character was king, their characters are king. They've shown and proven through their hard work, through their loyalty to our country, how amazing human beings they are. So yeah, should you support them? Yes. They have opinions on the Second Amendment. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. Speaking of opinions on Second Amendment, we have the assault weapons ban. If you're listening to this and you're thinking about uh, what's the future look like for you, well, look, the assault weapons ban did not prove, I don't think there's any statistics that I've seen, even by liberal academics, academic institutions that have done case studies on the assault weapons ban, if it did any good. I mean, I just read an article from ABC News that had a meme type of a graphic that outlined these mass shootings that took place all across the U.S. In fact, none of the shootings they reference were mass shootings. It's, again, the media perpetuating this narrative because they want more control. The government capitalizes on control. Now, 
Do I think there should be some gun legislation? Yes. What is that? I don't know, like uh, background checks as they stand. I mean, I, I think the background checks that we do, generally speaking, are, are, are pretty dang good. I mean, I got a top secret SCI clearance via a conversation and an investigation. My initial screening for my general than secret clearance was as much as you get in a background investigation through the federal government. It's a comprehensive background search based on a data check. And I think that's very sufficient. The idea that we should limit a 18-year-old from buying an AR-15 because it's an assault weapon, man, look, if you give them an inch, they'll take a mile, right? When we talk about gun control, when we talk about legislation to ban weapons, we're not focused on the issue. Uh, some of the statistics that I pulled up for you guys have to do with suicide in this country. A statistic from 2020 referenced uh, suicide in the U.S. at being 40 plus thousand people died in America from suicide, 50% of those by guns. 139, it's actually 129, but it's plus, because plus or minus, died every day of suicide in this country. When you see the videos that I posted on my Instagram, mike.a.glover, of these kids, children, bullying, it, it looks like they're bullying a kid. I don't, I don't know the, the uh, context for the specific situation, but they got this kid bent over and they're attacking him verbally and physically, and he's on the defense. And then one of the kids pulls a gun and points it in his face, and all the kids around him pull out their cameras on their cell phones. That is an indication of what the future looks like in our country, because those children are our future. So where are we as a country? We're not in a very good position. Uh, we're not in a good place. One, like a decade or two decades ago, violent video game debates and legislation was a thing because the scientists and the people who study psychology and behavior said, hey, this is going to affect our society forever because we're desensitizing children and they're more likely to conduct acts of violence. Every major statistic that's bad is up on the rise. That's inner city crime. That's crime, violent crime overall, including homicides and murders. And that includes a spike in suicides and mental health issues. Now, again, that's the issue. The social fabric of our nation is the issue, but we're focused on addressing the gun? Like what? Like what are, what are we doing? Why are we wasting so much time focused on law-abiding citizens' rights and not focused on the radical district attorneys across the United States who are allowing these criminals to get out, who aren't prosecuting the right way. I mean, they just voted uh, the San Francisco DA out because of how reckless and insane San Francisco is. It boggles my mind, guys. And I, look, I, I want to be like real logical and rational about this, but it almost seems like we're living in a bizarre world and it's a clown show where everything that is isn't and it's opposite, right? It's, remember, it's like opposite world. It's like everything that you think is the opposite of what it actually is. And so when you're getting your news from a meme, that's a problem. That's just probably not a good thing. So anyway, I want to talk about um, Matt McConaughey real quick before we get into the bulk of the content of this podcast, which is a warrior's mindset. Matt McConaughey is somebody who has taken advantage 
of opportunity in this country to thrive. He's an amazing actor. He's very successful. And he has an opinion. How his opinion gets in front of the podium at the White House is beyond me. But I want to read through some of Matt McConaughey's speech. And via the official transcript, I'm using USA Today as a reference for you guys at home. And I want to talk through some of what he said and discussed a little bit of that in some context from my experiences. He said, and I quote, to make the loss of these lives matter, my wife and I, Camilla, we spent most of the last week on the ground with the families in Uvalde, Texas, which, which is where Matt's from. We shared stories, tears, and memories. The common thread independent of the anger and confusion and sadness, it was the same. How can these families continue to honor these deaths by keeping the dreams of these children and teachers alive? Again, how can the loss of these lives matter? So while we honor and acknowledge the victims, we need to recognize that this time it seems that something is different. There's a sense that perhaps there is a viable path forward. Responsible parties in this debate seem to at least be committed to sitting down and having a real conversation about a new improved path forward, a path that can bring us closer together and make us safer as a country. path can actually get something done this time. So they talk about the stories of hometown, their hometown of Uvalde. They came here to take meetings with elected officials. And I want to get to the shift where he talks about gun control, okay? So he calls for what's called gun responsibility. Uh, and he talks about it in the op-ed after the Uvalde school shooting. He sat down with ministries, first responders, counselors, cooks, families, trying to grieve, and then trying to figure out a path forward. So Matt McConaughey visited, but then in his speech, he lined out his true feelings behind the guns. And I'm going to try to get to that really fast. Okay, here we go. So these bodies were very different. They needed much more than makeup to be presentable. They needed extensive restoration. Uh, this is him speaking on how he met with, because Irma was one of the teachers who was gunned down the classroom, Joe, her husband, literally died of a heart attack the very next day when he had a heart attack. They never got to paint the back of the house. They never got to retire. And they never got to that food truck together. And he's in tears at this, at this moment. We also met a cosmetologist, all right? She was well-versed in mortuary makeup. That's the task of making the victims appear as peaceful and as natural as possible for their open casket viewing. These bodies were very different, he says. They needed much more than makeup to be presentable. They needed extensive restoration. Why? Due to the exceptionally large exit wounds of an AR-15. Most of the body is so mutilated that only DNA test or green converse could identify them. Many children were left not only dead, but hollow. So yes, counselors are going to be needed for Uvalde for a long time. Counselors are needed in all these places where mass shootings have been for a long time. And speaking from somebody who's been to war a lot, I know how painful this is for both the good guys and on the other side, the bad guys who have families. I, I understand the, the cost of war and the cost of death. And what's different, obviously, in this situation is the weapon of war, the assault weapon in air quotes, was used on kids. He says, look, we heard, from, this is an I quote, look, we heard from, we heard from so many people, all right, families of the deceased, mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, Texas Rangers, hunters, border patrol, and responsible gun owners who won't give up their Second Amendment right to bear arms. And you know what they all said? We want secure and safe schools and we want gun laws that won't, won't make it easy for the bad guys to get these damn guns. So we knew, we know what's on the table. We need to invest in mental health care. We need to make schools safer. We need to restrain from sensationalized media coverage. We need to store our family values. We need background checks. We need to raise minimum age to purchase an AR to 21. 
We need a waiting period for those rifles. We need red flag laws and consequences for those who abuse them. Okay, let's get to this real quick. All right, so we said we need background checks. Agreed. We already have them. We have background checks. We need background checks. We need background checks on AR-15. We, we do need that. I think we need background checks on all these weapon systems because it's not hard to do, right? If you buy a rifle, you buy a pistol, you should have a background check. We need to raise the minimum age to purchase an AR-15 to 21. Don't agree. Why? I served in the Army at 17, was trained how to use a weapon system, obviously. But men are considered adults at the age of 18. Women are considered adults at the age of 18. So that means a myriad of things that we're allowed to do responsibly as adults, we could do at the age of 18. Now, we do differentiate and with alcohol that you have to be 21 to buy alcohol. But we drive cars at 16. A big leading cause of death amongst teens is texting while driving. But again, we immediately go, well, man, we need to maybe raise the age of driving from 16 to 21. Why? How about you get better training for children who are looking to drive? How about parents be more responsible parents and advocate for safe, responsible driving uh, and not texting with your children? Again, we are creating the backstop insurance policy for all of the excuses we need when we mess up with no personal responsibility. So if you could serve in the army at the age of 17, which I did, if you could serve your country at the age of 18, which I did, and go to war and die for your country, then why would I say to you, because you're not 21, you can't defend your life? The problem with people's misunderstanding of how this works is criminals have guns. People who are mentally ill, who are criminal and intent, who are evil human beings, are going to do this regardless. This is what they do. So we're advocating that law-abiding citizens not be able to own firearms from the ages of 18 to 21. I know a lot of young men and women who are responsible at the age of 18. So we're saying you can't own a gun, you can't protect or defend your family, because why? So I don't buy into that debate. Like that fixes things? So we're saying that if, if he would have been restricted from buying the firearm, he wouldn't have killed anybody. The guy was mentally ill. Mentally ill. If he didn't buy it legally, he would have bought it illegally. It's like the overwhelming majority of weapons that are on the streets in inner city crime, which we don't talk about, by the way. Um, he says, in, and I quote, we need a waiting period for those rifles. Well, I don't know what that would accomplish, but let's be comprehensive about that. So if we say we need a waiting period for those rifles, what does that mean? Does that mean we have to do more of a background check, start knocking on doors? Herein lies the problem when we say that and tied into his next sentence, which is we need red flag laws and consequences for those who abuse them. So let me ask Matt McConaughey, how do we enforce red flag laws? How subjective is this or is it objective? Because if it's objective, we're going to miss something. If it's subjective, we're going to abuse something. Because if you're a legal representative of the people who identify who can own a gun versus who cannot, do you not think that's going to be abused? And why would it be abused? Well, maybe because you don't like somebody or because somebody you don't like, you report on them. I have plenty of ex-girlfriends who would report on me right now because they would say, because I broke up with them more than likely, well, I have a person I want to report. And then what is the backstop? What is the legal process that allows us to navigate for our own rights? I talked about it on Evan's podcast, uh, on the Black Rifle podcast. I am a combat veteran diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. 
So do I fall into a red flag law? I mean, I was literally diagnosed with that based off of my traumatic brain injury that I sustained doing whatever, 20 years in military. So what is the right approach? We also have this thing called HIPAA that protects us from releasing private information about ourselves. So now we're just disseminating to everybody because we want to find out who needs a gun, who deserves a gun, who needs to own a gun. That's a dangerous, slippery slope. Because again, the question is, would any of these things stop inner city crime, bad people from killing good people, or a mass shooting? And the answer is likely no. We just went through this where we banned assault weapons. We banned them. You couldn't produce them in this country. You couldn't buy them in this country for a decade. And what did it do? What did it do? Nothing. You know what has happened over the past you know, six decades, seven decades, as we've been tracking it since the 1950s? Mental health issues. Mental health issues. It's an easy statistic to track because all you do is track the suicides. That's it. Track the suicides. Track the increase of 30-something plus percent from 2018 to 2019, and 2019 to 2020, and then the one and the two. Unprecedented suicides in this country because of mental health issues. So is a mass shooting a violent act of terrorism, or is it a mental health crisis? Well, I tend to believe that it could be both, right? So if somebody's hell intent on killing themselves as well as as many people as possible, that is a mental health crisis. Normal people don't do that. So obviously they're not in the, the right frame of mind. A radical jihadist does it because it's part of his faith and his religion, and he's comprehended the consequences and accepted those and is willing to take that risk. That is a very different process than somebody who's lost their mind. We're dealing with radical behavior from people who have lost their minds. Okay? And when you kill yourself, that is the end of that. That is the uh, diagnosis when you kill yourself. It's not the symptom, it's the diagnosis that that person was out of their mind. They lost their mind. So we see an increase in that, and then we see an increase in mass shootings. And by the way, the FBI determined that mass shootings is four more victims, including one of the four being the shooter is a mass shooting. So all these reports of these onesies and twosies being killed, not a mass shooting, right? Because you could have a gang fight where a gang member shoots and kills a couple people. That's not a mass shooting. So let's be very clear. Crime, violent crime takes place in this country every single day. And none of these things would stop that violent crime in Chicago, for example, right? It says, these are re- this is, I quote, these are reasonable, practical, tactical regulations to our nation, states, communities, schools, and homes. Responsible gun owners are fed up with the Second Amendment being abused and hijacked by some deranged individuals. That's true. But what does that have to do with us? Because the tool doesn't matter. I just showed a video on my mic.a.glover of a 16-year-old running over an infant child and her mother trying to kill them. And this kid, who's now 17, gets seven months in juvie, expunging his record at the age of 18. Like, that is one of the reasons why we have mass shooters. You have people who have shown the propensity for violence because they've literally conducted acts of violence, and we're giving them seven months. You don't think that's a future active shooter? I beg to differ. So also, by the way, as far as I understand it, most of these active shooters, the most recent ones, have been tracked by the federal government. They've been identified by the FBI 
as being radical, being off the rocker, whatever that means, the big media, the big liberal media is reporting it, not me. So yeah, there's some issues, but it's not the actual gun and a law-abiding citizen. So what are we doing? I mean, we didn't ground the planes on 9-11 when 19 terrorists with box cutters killed 3,000 people. We created a security protocol. Every school should have a security protocol created. I don't care if they take TSA agents and make them school security agents, SSA, and put them in every school. Do that before you decide to go, we're going to just focus on the tool. Because we didn't go after box cutters at Home Depot. We did say, hey, you couldn't take box cutters on an airplane, which is normal. But we armed pilots. We created the air marshal program to defend lives on planes. That's what we should be doing here. And that was a radical effort and a plan that killed 3,000 people. Yeah, it's crazy. Let me see if there's any other bits of information here uh, that we can speak about. No, that's pretty much it. Uh, let's, let's focus on uh, the rest of the podcast, which is the warrior's mindset. You know, I've been asked a lot about, hey, what are your tactics and tips on mindset? What are some of the things that you have done over your military career that have made you more resilient? And what I'll say the military did for me, very much so the military experience, is expose me to a lot of uncomfortable conditions and situations that I either had to thrive or get crushed by. Whether that was special forces selection, jumping out of an airplane in airborne school, ranger school, combat, going TDY and traveling to different destinations training foreign countries, training foreign fighters, all these different things, the military gave me this opportunity to expose myself to new challenges, which built resilience in me. And when I see people who want to become better, but they're lazy, they don't want to take chances. They don't want to even get off their ass, really. That is the detriment of their inability to become more resilient, to not develop a mindset. Look, the first thing you need to do is get off your ass. You need to have discipline. Discipline is the number one factor in your success, in your child's success even. So when you build structure around the idea that still in Jocko's term, discipline equals freedom, then you realize you'll thrive in regime. You'll thrive in routine. You'll thrive in structure. And we as human beings think I mean, a lot of us think that like we could live as singletons. We could kind of do our own thing. We don't need anybody. I used to think that as a Green Beret, unconventional, we were cool because we were unconventional. And I really realized that unconvention or irregular warfare meant you just operated differently, but you still had a ton of structure, right? In your planning processes, in your organization, um, in your disciplines. So, it's not just haphazard getting through life that is going to allow you to thrive. Uh, part of it is your routine, your habits, and the discipline you have in those routines and habits. And it's weird to say that built around mindset, but that's how it works. You want a healthy mind, you want a healthy body. It starts with a routine and a habit and discipline. So do this. I've talked about this before because this is like a mantra, or this is an idea that I got from a book called The Power of Now. Uh, focused on passive observation of what you do every day. So take a seat in the back 
and observe throughout the day your patterns and routines of what you really do. Like, how do you really navigate your life? Ask yourself the question right now. What do you do when you wake up? Like every morning you wake up, what is your routine and habit? What do you actually do? Let me walk you through my steps. So I get up and the first thing I do is drink a glass of water. The reason I drink a glass of water is because that activates your metabolism, also your digestive system that's been dormant, and it gets things flowing, right? Uh, It's good for you. And you also need to kick off the day being hydrated because you just slept seven, eight hours and you didn't drink any water. The next thing I do is air squats. Yeah, I get up, drink a glass of water, which is bedside, and I knock out some air squats because knocking out air squats allows me to activate the blood flow, but this habit and routine that's built into my system that tells me it's time to go, right? So I get my blood flowing, do about 50 air squats, standing air squats, and then I start my day. If my kids are kind of awake, uh, I'll go and wake them up and then get them started into their day. I'll feed them uh, and get their routine started. On my end, I'll make coffee. Um, I love Black Rifle Coffee's espresso coffee because depending on how I feel, if I want to sip on coffee because that's the time of year, like I like sipping on coffee when it's cold outside, uh, it's getting warm, so I don't like sipping on a hot coffee. I'll get espresso. So I'll get a Black Rifle Coffee espresso beans, squeeze the espresso shot, and typically I won't drink milk in the morning because I'm fasting, but I'll swig that espresso shot. That activates a whole bunch of benefits and caffeine that's beneficial for your metabolism and your systems. And especially for me, who has a traumatic brain injury, where my brain gets a little foggy, especially with carbohydrates, which is why I like fasting. I typically fast 12 to 16 hours a day, depending on the day. So when I get my day started, I'll look at my phone and go to Patreon, because I have a Patreon now building my habits, and I'll answer questions on Patreon. Because my brain in the morning is fresh, it's active, and it's firing. I want to be able to be mentally agile and take advantage of that. So I answer questions. Like I'm like reading questions. It's very thoughtful. And then I get back to my tier one members on Patreon. Next thing I do is I get my kids loaded and I take them to their uh, place of daycare. And then I get on my earbuds and I immediately start digesting information as it's related to preparedness. I'll listen to uh, BBC News Cycle. I'll listen to The Daily Wire, uh, Ben Shapiro. Um, I'll listen to my own guys, including the Cleared Hot podcast, depending on what's going on, to get myself tuned in on the way back, which is a drive. When I get back into town, I start making my phone calls to my key personnel. That's ops, that's marketing, that's media. And that's my morning routine. When I'm headed back to Heber, I get into the gym or get active. Like um, This is our new active wear, which is like UV protected. I put this on this morning. And I decided, hey, I want to go for a walk. So I went for a walk outside, got some vitamin D, and then uh, got some uh, work accomplished in my brain. And when I tell you that, I want to tell you that because that is my routine nearly every day. And when I get knocked off that routine, I am not as resilient because I have to adapt. I have to think outside the box. And I want to be adaptive. So my weekends don't look like that. They'd look like driving, finding a random destination to hike. It looks like overlanding in the backcountry of Utah. It looks like, you know, going to a a random place I've never been before. That routine for me instills discipline, but optimizes my brain power 
to be at its best, right? Um, what I didn't tell you in those actions, I have tips and tactics that I use in situational awareness. Like when I get into a car, I tap the rear view mirror with my finger. When I do that, it hones me in to focus on the rear view mirror. I look left and I look right at my rear view mirrors to identify if there's any changes, people, patterns, et cetera. That keeps me locked in and situationally aware. Now, it's like, Mike, what does this have to do with being a warrior? Well, warriors follow routines like this, which is how they become the best in the world. It's similar to a professional athlete. Like the professional athlete has a routine in rotating their shoulders and mobility exercises and throwing the baseball and warming up or throwing the football and warming up that they've done for years since they were a kid as an athlete going into professional athletics. So this routine is what optimizes our performance. When I was a special operations guy, I had a similar routine. Every morning, I got up at 0530 and did physical training. When the rest of the army wakes up at 0630 to do training, I got ahead of it. Every day when I was in the military, I figured out ways to do physical movement, mobility, exercise during the training blocks. So we were out doing a range. I made my guys run to the range in full kit because I wanted to create good habits that built a more resilient body, but also a more resilient mind. Some of the tactics that I use for mindset, especially when faced with challenges, is trying to get better organized. Like I'm, I'm organized, but it's because I have uh, the benefit of having a personal assistant who keeps me organized, but I have my own little special tactics. One of those is note-taking. I take notes in my notes on my phone um, because it's easy for me to reference, but I also need to keep things on task. So I work from task to task. I don't like getting caught in between not being productive. So I'll say, I got a podcast to do. And I'll, I'll make every effort and attempt to get into the studio to do that podcast like I did it today. Now, things will come up. Like I got a phone call from my marketing director right before this podcast. I do that, knock that out. But my focus is getting on task. So if you want to become more physically fit, your task and your focus needs to be getting into the gym. because. The likelihood of you not working out if you don't enter the gym is very high because you'll find every excuse not to go. It's like the idea that Jocko had of uh, packing the gym bag prior. I talked about that at one time. I used to do that every morning. Uh, I would pack my gym bag for the next day. So I'm, I'm reducing the amount of excuses by increasing the efficiency and how easy it is to make sure I get there. So like my drive home, or my drive from dropping off my kids. I'm in workout outfit. If I was wearing jeans and flip-flops, yeah, I'm not going to the gym. And if I said, I'm going home and I'm going to get my gym bag and change shoes, something could happen. It could derail my focus. So when I stay focused, I'm setting the conditions for the best case scenario of setting me up for success. So I wear gym clothes with gym shoes on the way back, and then I take that right turn towards the gym. If I bypassed it, the idea of I'm going to turn around at some point is less likely. And the closer I get to being in the gym, the higher the probability of me working out. We are very good at digressing. We're very good at finding excuses not to do things. Discipline comes in when you find the path, the method, the tactics to do more. When we create goals, we say, hey, I'm going to read a book a week. Is that realistic? Can you listen to a book a week on your commute? 
Can you take the hour commute time to and from instead of like staring out the window or listening to your favorite music? Can you tune into a book that's going to allow you to learn? These habits, these routines in these habits is what's going to make you more resilient as a person and develop what I call a warrior mindset. Now, what is a warrior mindset? One, it's the ability to bounce back through difficult challenges, right? It's the ability to adapt on the fly, even under stress. It's the ability to be resilient, not only mentally, but physically, right? So I talk about fitness and its place in my life because it directly correlates to your mindset. It's hard to be a warrior in your mind if you don't feel like you're a warrior in your body. So if you're out of shape, you're getting conditioned, then yes, you need a warrior mindset because that's what you need to build the resilience to not quit. Because it's hard when you're out of shape and you're trying to get back in shape. What I like is the idea of physical fitness is resilience, but it also is uh, being a warrior. Like when I was in special operations, if I did well on the army physical fitness test, people left me alone. Because like, well, you know, Mike squared away and he works out and he's, and he's fit. So why would I mess with him? Because he, he's already accomplished 50% of his job, right? But a lot of people have gotten so complacent, so lazy, that they want to signal to the world how cool they are via the things that are easy to them, but not via the things that are difficult to them. So you got you know guys in skinny jeans running around on ranges shooting guns looking cool, but that's not how it works with that concept in real life. Like if you are running and gunning, you need to be physically fit to navigate obstacles, to run into harm's way, to run around with your kit, to building climb, and all these things. So embrace functional fitness. Uh, just real quick, I mean, a couple tactics that I use in, in uh, fitness period is I lift now more than I did because I know that at my age, I'm going to lose muscle mass and I need to retain that muscle mass, but also helps with core fitness because that's where I want to avoid injury. That's also what I did on active duty. When I was a special operations guy, everything was built around the idea of functional fitness and doing movements, doing loads and lifts that were going to facilitate my job. I carried kit on my body, which was very heavy. I jumped out of airplanes. I did long-range movements to the objective. I had to be trained physically for all those things, which meant I had to carry a rucksack. Uh, I had to carry body armor. I walked with it. I rucked with it. I ran with it. Now I don't do that. So I'm going to save my back some time and not do that, but I'm still going to be capable. Now, a warrior's mindset as a civilian, you have to think about protecting and defending your family. Like right now, if I said, I want you to pick up your spouse and move five miles, how would you fare? How would you fare moving five miles? It doesn't have to be the apocalyptic scenario. What if your spouse was injured? How are you going to take care of your spouse when they're injured and you have to carry them uh, from a UTV accident off the trail to somewhere where you got reception? How are you going to do that? Also, the warrior's mindset is built off of how you act or how you respond when you're beat down. Now, I will tell you that two tactics that I teach, one is breathing, which I, I talked often about, which brings you back conscious to the world because we kind of lose ourselves in these stressful conditions. But the other component to that is what I do in my special operations prep course where I build resilience by finding your happy place. 
often when we are being beat down, figuratively, literally, we find a place that's not a good place or not a healthy place for us. And we don't survive that situation. And even if we do, we beat ourselves up for it. I want you to think about what your happy place is. Where can you go in your mind to subside the mental slash physical discomfort and compounding that problem? Where can you go and hide and retreat to where you could be in a good place mentally that's going to facilitate the uh, discomfort you're feeling? Meaning it's not going to break you down even more. When your body starts to feel uncomfortable in any way, it thinks you're dying, but you're not. But we like to think that we are, but you're not. So first, it's the way you perceive the situation. It's literally your point of view, your perspective. We tend to think the worst case scenario. We need to stay optimistic in our daily routines and habits. We're likely inundated with the stuff on the cell phone, the stuff from the media channel. But if you stay optimistic about what you can control, that's going to help your mindset and keeping you in a better, happy place. Stay in that happy place. You know, it's like the, uh, uh, one of the, my favorite books written by the Dalai Lama on happiness. It's somewhere here. Excuse me. I'm looking for the title. It's like the path to happiness or the key to happiness, whatever it is. That's a great book because it talks about optimistic behavior. Like you have nothing to woe about. If you're healthy, if you have a roof over your head, if you're eating, likely you are. If you're uh, living in America, likely you are. Then what do you have to complain about? And then when somebody tells you something bad and then you take that energy and you manifest it into the same and you tell somebody else something bad, that is destroying your core and your resiliency because it is degrading you mentally and breaking you down physically. That energy is at a cost. So try to change the pattern. Somebody comes to me and they say, hey, what do you think about blah, blah, blah? They're a blah, 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 right? We hear it all the time. And I said, well, have you ever talked to them? Or yeah, that, that's not important, man. Like, why are you getting bogged down with somebody else's drama? Or yeah, that's just the way they are. Maybe we should talk to them and try to change their path. I mean, they are our friend. So when you change that with an optimistic perspective, you are building that foundation for a more resilient you, right? Also, I think about the physical structure in your head, the uh, imagination, building the physical structure in your head of that happy place. Like I can go to a very calm, secluded place in my mind with the one I love, you know, next to a fire in the worst of times. The world could be burning to the ground and in my head, that's keeping me optimistic about my future. It's keeping me calm. It's keeping me collected. One of the things that's a detriment to ourselves is we're our own worst enemies. We like to beat ourselves up. We constantly look for holes in our own game. And we say, well, that's just who you are. You're a piece of crap. You're fat. You're unhealthy. You're out of shape. That's just who you are. But that's not who you have to be. When you make the decision in your head who you're going to be, and you say, that's who I am, then the rest of the problem is easy to fix. Because then we just create the evidence in our actions, that is who I am. So if you're out of shape, you could say, that's not who I am. Underneath this fat body, this unhealthy body, I'm healthy. Because in my mind, I'm healthy. So I'm going to prove to myself that I can be that. 
So I'm going to go to my fridge and throw away everything and start over and build healthy habits and a healthy lifestyle. I'm going to get off my ass and I'm going to move because building calorie deficit is going to help me lower my uh, body mass. I'm going to get out and do healthy things instead of unhealthy things. When I come home, I usually eat a bag of chips off my chest. Now, instead of coming home, I'm going to go hike with my friend and talk about our day. That's how we instill uh, with the right vision all the right confirmation bias that are going to lead to healthy output, right? Without a habit instilled, without a behavior instilled, it does nothing to talk yourself down or talk yourself up. You have to create the habit. The habit and the routine is going to be the deciding factor if you're going to be a warrior or not. Like if you look at a warrior, and let's just take a special operator. If you look at their habits and routines throughout the day, that's what makes them resilient. That's what makes them skilled. That's what makes them who they are. If you take a baseball player versus a, a couch potato, two very different profiles of behavior, of routine, of habit. So what I want to do is, you know, I'm expressing these, these little seeds in your mind sporadically. I'm like a machine gun of, of ideas right now. Because I want you to think about potential things that you could do on your own. I want you to build a routine and habit where you annotate, because if you don't have the discipline, it's going to be difficult, especially when you first start out, of writing down verbatim all the changes that you're making. From 08 to 09, you're going to work out. From 09 to 0915, you're going to drink a protein shake. Then you're going to go and look at that plan, provide the service and support to make that plan what it is. I got to pack my range bag because I want to go to the range and become a proficient shooter. I got to pack my gym bag because I need to be ready for the gym. I need to get buy protein because I know I'm going to use protein every single morning from 9 to 9.15, so I need to have that in my fridge. Doing these things based off of the backwards timing of your plan is going to help you implement the change. You have to make it easy. It's like uh, the author of Atomic Habits says, don't just like say, I'm going to read every night before I go to bed. Say, I'm going to read a page a night and scale from there. So then you read a page and you go, well, heh, maybe I can read two pages. Maybe say, I'm going to read for 30 minutes every time I get in bed right before bed and then spend 30 minutes just unwinding, not looking at anything, not reading anything, turning off my mind. So then that 30 minutes turns into seven pages, then eight pages. Then you're like, Man, I'm going to do that in the morning because it benefits me health-wise in the afternoon. Same thing with routines of fitness. Hey, I'm not going to walk less than 10,000 steps a day because the healthiest populations in the world do the same. We need to very specifically and analytically look at our behaviors and habits to benefit us and our mindset. The detriment to not having a warrior's mindset the detriment behind not having a resilient mindset is we start to decay. We're decaying as a society because of the lack of this resilience that we've built. We've outsourced security. We've outsourced education. We've outsourced supply chains. We've outsourced everything. Hell, we're even outsourcing our physical fitness routines because you know, if I could wake up and get on a bike and the bike tells me what to do and I just move my legs, that's it. We need to stop doing that. We need to be more self-reliant and more independent as people taking control of our own lives. The outsource came with the idea that it was going to be more optimizing of our time, not the detriment of our mental health. And it is. It's becoming that. 
guys, I, I don't want to go down too many far rabbit holes. I want to just spit these ideas out. Uh, a lot of the uh, technical things I put on Patreon, uh, I film for you guys when I do specific stuff on locals. Um, if you haven't realized it, um, I did launch a Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash Mike Glover, or you go to link down below. I'm sure it's there. Um, but I talk very specifically about these tactics, techniques, and procedures I use every day. This is a sell for me to you because I have nothing but time to do this kind of content. And I, I make this content and this lifestyle a career field for me. It's how I pay my bills. It's how I pay my company's bills. It's what we do. It's why we're expanding in Dallas, Texas, because of you guys' hard-earned money investing in us in this lifestyle. I will give you the value back 110% if you do the same for us. Um, guys, patreon.com forward slash Mike Glover, and you can find the same thing on Locals for the Philcraft Survival channel on the Locals app. I just appreciate all the things that you guys do. I'm excited to get to Dallas, Texas next week where I'm going to be reconning for a new facility in between Fort Worth and Dallas, somewhere in between. But yeah, man, I, look, the lifestyle of preparedness is the lifestyle you should be living. If you don't do it with us, do it with yourself. Take advantage of all the free stuff we put out and then shift and change your mindset, your lifestyle, your reliance, and start insourcing it. Stop outsourcing it. Guys, till next time. Peace out, guys. Tip of the spear